Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to the works of Stephen King. Need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Circle Opens and my coverage of Stephen King's short stories and novellas. This week, we will be talking about Night Surf. If you've been a listener of The Circle Opens since the beginning, you will recall that in my first episode, I briefly discussed Night Surf as it was King's first story that mentioned the plague known as Captain Trips. Night Surf was originally published in 1969 for Ubris Magazine, which was a literary journal published by the University of Maine, where Stephen King attended. And later, of course, it was collected for Night Shift, and supposedly the version that we read in Night Shift is heavily revised. I have not been able to find a copy of the original story. I'm not sure if it's still out there somewhere. But if anyone knows where I can track that down, uh, please let me know, because I would love to read the original published story just to see what the changes or differences might be. And it seems as though Night Surf was also adapted into a short film in 2001 by Peter Sullivan. This was part of Stephen King's Dollar Baby program, where he options his works for a dollar to aspiring filmmakers. I have not yet seen... This adaptation of Night Surf, I'm sure I will eventually go online and try to find it so I can watch it and maybe give my review on what I think. But as of right now, I've not been able to track it down. With Night Surf and Night Shift, we begin with a line that I think does a really fabulous job of hooking the reader. After the guy was dead and the smell of his burning flesh was off the air, we all went back down to the beach. This story is told in first person, the narrator's name being Bernie. He and a few of his quote-unquote friends are returning to Anson Beach in New Hampshire, listening to a radio. They can only get two stations, one of which they can only get at night, which sounds like it's run by a bunch of kids, which amuses them as they are teenagers themselves. The other station, manned by a backwoods DJ who had gone nutty religious, reading scripture in between weeping and playing music. Bernie is walking hand in hand with a girl named Susie. Susie, who is asking Bernie if he loves her, Bernie is brutally honest and says no. To himself, he thinks that she's getting fat. And she's already mouthy, so soon she'll be flabby and mouthy. This guy is a stand-up guy, I have to say. Up ahead of them are friends Kelly and Joan. Behind them, Corey, holding the radio. When they get back down to the beach, Bernie begins to run, catching up with Kelly and Joan, and Needles, another friend of theirs. They speculate on the man that they had just burned alive, but only briefly. Susie, who Bernie had left behind when he began to run, finally catches up to the group, calling Bernie some very choice, um, unsavory words, in response, Bernie threatens to blacken her eye. Again, a stand-up guy. Corey arrives and tries to comfort Susie, but she elbows him in the crotch, leading him to spitting in her face. 
This pisses her off more, and she ends up chasing Corey down the beach. Kelly and Joan, already gone, having wandered off, arms around each other. Alone now, Needles tells Bernie that he has it. A6, Captain Trips. His head aches, his stomach hurts, and it hurts to piss. Bernie wonders if maybe it's just Hong Kong flu, but Needles shows Bernie the first triangular smudges, indicating swelling. So yes, Needles has A6. Needles doesn't feel too bad, but he can tell Bernie is thinking about it a lot, just like he's thinking about the man they had burned to death. He had been behind the wheel of a big Lincoln when we found him, semi-conscious and raving. His head was bloated to the size of a football, and his neck looked like a sausage. He had Captain Trips, and not far to go either. So we took him up to the point that overlooks the beach and burned him. He said his name was Alvin Sackheim. He kept calling for his grandmother. He thought Susie was his grandmother. This struck her as funny. God knows why. The strangest things strike Susie funny. It was Corey's idea to burn him up, but it started off as a joke. He had read all these books about witchcraft and black magic at college and kept leering at us in the dark beside Alvin Sackheim's Lincoln and telling us that if we made a sacrifice to the dark gods, maybe the spirits would keep protecting us against A6. Of course, none of us really believed that bullshit, but the talk got more and more serious. It was a new thing to do, and finally we went ahead and did it. We tied him to the observation gadget up there. You put a dime in it, and on a clear day, you can see all the way to Portland Headlight. We tied him with our belts, and then we went rooting around for dry brush and hunks of driftwood like kids playing a new kind of hide-and-seek. All the time we were doing it, Alvin Sackheim just sort of leaned there and mumbled to his grandmother. Susie's eyes got very bright, and she was breathing fast. It was really turning her on. When we were down in the ravine, on the other side of the outcrop, she leaned against me and kissed me. She was wearing too much lipstick, and it was like kissing a greasy plate. I pushed her away, and that was when she started pouting. We went back up, all of us, and piled dead branches and twigs up to Alvin Sackheim's waist. Needles lit the pyre with his zippo, and it went up fast. At the end, just before his hair caught on fire, the guy began to scream. There was a smell just like sweet Chinese pork. Needles doesn't think that Alvin knew what was happening, but Bernie does. The fact that Needles had Captain Trips just made everything feel real again. And Bernie wonders if they'll all be dead by Christmas. Needles says, maybe we're the last people on Earth, Bernie. Did you ever think of that? In the faint moonlight, he already looked half dead, with circles under his eyes and pallid, unmoving fingers like pencils. Bernie leaves to find Susie. He finds her pounding on Corey in the water. Bernie pushes her off, and of course, Susie screams at him, but he ignores her and offers her a hand, pulling her to her feet. They walk up the beach together toward the main concession. Upstairs is an overhead apartment with a bed. The stairs went up the side of the building, but I paused for just a minute to look in the broken window at the dusty wares inside that no one had cared enough to loot. Stacks of sweatshirts, Anson Beach, and a picture of sky and waves printed on the front. Glittering bracelets that would green the wrist on the second day. Bright junk earrings, beach balls, dirty greeting cards, badly painted ceramic madonnas, plastic vomit. So realistic, try it on your wife. Fourth of July sparklers for a fourth that never was. Beach towels with a voluptuous girl 
in a bikini standing amid the names of a hundred famous resort areas, pennants, souvenir vans and beach and park, balloons, bathing suits. There was a snack bar up front with a big sign saying, try our clam cake special. I used to come to Anson Beach a lot when I was still in high school. That was seven years before A6. And I was going with a girl named Maureen. She was a big girl. She had a pink checked bathing suit. I used to tell her it looked like a tablecloth. We had walked along the boardwalk in front of this place, barefoot, the boards hot and sandy beneath our heels. We had never tried the clam cake special. That night, Bernie has ugly dreams about Alvin Sackheim. He was propped behind the wheel of his shiny yellow Lincoln talking about his grandmother. He was nothing but a bloated, blackened head and a charred skeleton. He smelled burnt. He talked on and on, and after a while I couldn't make out a single word. I woke up breathing hard. Susie is still asleep, and Bernie gets up to get a beer. He goes out back on the landing to drink it. So here we were, with the whole human race wiped out, not by atomic weapons or biowarfare or pollution or anything grand like that, just the flu. I'd like to put down a huge plaque somewhere, in the Bonneville Salt Flats maybe, Bronze Square, three miles on a side, and in big raised letters it would say, for the benefit of any landing aliens, just the flu. Tossing the beer can over the side of the landing, Bernie sees the lean-in on the beach where he left Needles, and he wonders if Needles was awake. But he's interrupted by Susie, who asks, You don't like me much anymore, do you, Bernie? I didn't say anything. There were times when I could still feel sorry for everything. She didn't deserve me any more than I deserved her. She wants to sit with him, but he makes a comment about it not being wide enough for the both of them, which upsets her. As she's about to go back inside, he tells her, Needles has A6. Susie is stunned because Needles had A2, Hong Kong flu, just like her and Bernie and Corey, Kelly and Joan. And if he had A6 now, that would mean he isn't immune, which also meant they could all get it too. Bernie wonders if Needles lied about having A2 so they would take him along with them when they met in Portland. Susie clings to anything that might explain Needles being sick and agrees with Bernie that he probably lied. She would have lied too. Nobody likes to be alone. Susie returns to bed. Bernie thinks I didn't have to tell her that A2 was no guarantee against A6. She knew that. She had just blocked it out. I sat and watched the surf. It was really up. Years ago, Anson had been the only one halfway decent surfing spot in the state. The point was a dark jutting hump against the sky. I thought I could see the upright that was the observation post, but it probably was just imagination. Sometimes Kelly took Joan up to the point. I didn't think they were up there tonight. The surf coming in, coming in, coming in. Limitless. Clean and deep. We had come here in the summer, Maureen and I, the summer after high school, the summer before college, in reality in A6 coming out of Southeast Asia and covering the world like a pall. July, we had eaten pizza and listened to her radio. I had put oil on her back. She had put oil on mine. The air had been hot, the sand bright, the sun like a burning glass. So first things first, Bernie is a dick. <laughs> he is not a sympathetic narrator at all. But we also don't know much about Bernie, despite it being from his point of view. It's clear that the rest of the world has been wiped out, and they had just returned to the beach after burning a man alive. 
It doesn't matter that he was dying of A6 or Captain Trips or whatever you want to call it. He had been alive. They try to pretend they had done him a favor, or perhaps they had made a sacrifice to the Dark Gods to continue to protect them against Captain Trips. But was that really the best way to go about it? I suppose human sacrifice is human sacrifice, and what better way than to burn somebody at a, I don't want to say a stake, but an observation post. As Needles points out, Bernie thinks about those things. So while he's a jerk, he may still have some humanity left in him. But he is basically a cruel jackass, and especially to his pseudo-girlfriend, Susie, who I find to be very insecure and just needing reassurance. And Bernie is just not there for that. In a way, he kind of reminded me of Larry Underwood from The Stand, just the very beginnings of Larry with the way he treated Rita. He wasn't that mean to her as Bernie is to Susie, but I can see those parallels of selfishness and just needing to not worry so much about other people or even caring about them in the most basic way that you could. This group of teenagers convene on Anson Beach, along with Bernie and his girl Susie, is Kelly, who is a guy, by the way, Joan, Corey, and Needles. And they had met Needles in Portland, but it's clear that Bernie knew Susie from college. It seemed this A6 flu had come from Southeast Asia and had spread across the world. Before A6, there had been a less deadly flu called A2, and with it, a belief that if you survived A2, you were immune to A6. Obviously, this belief is called into question when Needles admits to Bernie that he has A6. Of course, he could have lied to them about having contracted and survived A2, but it doesn't seem likely. Bernie is okay with Susie accepting that explanation, but it's clear that he doesn't believe it himself. This version of Captain Tripp's pre-The Stand seems to work a bit differently than how King portrayed it. It seems to move as quickly as The Stand version did, as Bernie has memories of visiting Anson Beach with a girl he was dating in July, and Night Surf is August. So it seems as though A6 spread and killed the majority of the population in those weeks. But it also seems as though A6 doesn't kill as quickly as Captain Tripp's. With Captain Trips in the stand, it seems the more potent the virus is when you get it, the faster you die. But even a month after A6 spread, there are still people alive with the virus, all in varying stages. In the stand, Captain Trips had done its worst and killed everybody it was going to kill by, I believe it was July 2nd. And here in Night Surf, A6 slash Captain Trips is still spreading and still killing people. Take, for instance, Alvin Sackheim. He was more or less on death's door when the teenagers found him. And Needles is at the beginning stages of A6 himself. So while in the stand, if you were still alive after July 2nd or so of Captain Tripp's, you know, doing his business, you were clearly immune. But in Night Surf, there's no guarantee that you can't contract A6 and die later. For me, that is a much more horrifying prospect, never knowing if you'll get sick from a deadly superflu and die, even after witnessing the end for so many others. And for me, the highlight of this story isn't the characters. We only see things here from Bernie's point of view, and even then, we don't know much about him other than he is a jerk. <laughs> for me, the highlight of the story is the beach and how King describes it. He writes, the sand was white and duned, marked only by a high tide line, twisted skein of seaweed, kelp, hunks of driftwood. 
The moonlight stitched inky crescent-shaped shadows and folds across everything. The deserted lifeguard tower stood white and skeletal some 50 yards from the bathhouse, pointing toward the sky like a finger bone. It's the night surf, the sand, even the concession stand with the overhead apartment. I've been to plenty of touristy beaches in my time, and I could imagine perfectly how he described that concession stand slash gift shop. Everything inside, the really dirty greeting cards, the brightly colored bathing suits, uh, the pennants, all that stuff, it came rushing back to me as I read this story. I could picture it very clearly, and it painted a really haunting picture, especially understanding and knowing that these teenagers were by themselves. They had nowhere else to go. Just imagine yourself standing at the edge of a beach, staring out into the ocean and not knowing what's on the other side. If anyone's alive, probably not. And it's almost like imagining yourself being the last person alive on earth. And that is a terrifying thought. In the stand, the power and technology failed rather quickly as well, but in night surf, they are still able to get radio frequencies, even if they're a bit spotty. So just as Needle points out, they could be the last people on Earth, staring out at the ocean on a beach that was once littered with tourists and trash. is so vast that it's easy to get lost in, to feel small and alone. How much time do they even have left, knowing they could be susceptible to A6 even now? Are their deaths inevitable, like needles? Their mental stability can definitely be questioned. Bernie's blunt cruelty, needles making jokes, despite knowing he's going to die. Susie laughing at inappropriate times, which reminded me of Fran Goldsmith, while also being on the verge of tears, which also reminded me of Fran Goldsmith. They burn a man alive mostly egged on by Corey's semi-serious belief that if they sacrifice the guy to some deity, he'll continue to protect them from Asics, despite the fact that Needles has not been protected. They all laugh about it at first, but then the more they discuss it, the more serious it becomes. It just reminded me of getting caught up in the satanic panic and witch trials of Salem, burning witches or hanging them uh, to appease the gods or God. I think this was a really good precursor to The Stand. King had set up a really interesting premise here. The world being wiped out, not by nuclear war or biological weapons, but by the flu. Whether man-made or not. And then the survivors. What do they do? Where would they go? You can definitely sense the potential in this story to become something bigger, something better. As a standalone story, it's fine. But after reading The Stand... Going back to read Night Surf, I could tell I felt like there was something lacking. I would probably give this story Night Surf 3 out of 5, mostly because Bernie is such an asshole, so it's hard to sympathize with him too much. And King does a really great job leaving you wonder about the state of the world, how the flu started to spread, if Bernie and his friends will all end up dead in the future. Yes, there are also parallels here to COVID-19 which I'm sure you can all see if you've read Night Surf as well. And honestly, I am about all tapped out with stories about super flus. <laughs> this is a shorter story in the collection, but I feel like it was still pretty effective. And next week, we get to talk about one of my favorite short stories in this collection. 
I am the doorway. I know this is a short episode, but this was a short story, (laughs) obviously. So I'm not going to ramble on too long about it. And I will be having an episode out very shortly covering the last two episodes of The Stand. I have not had as much time to watch them in a timely manner as I would like. Plus, my husband is watching it with me, so I have to wait for him. But that episode is coming soon. So keep an eye out for that. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who's reached out to me. If I haven't got back to you yet, I promise that I will. You can also find me on social media at The Circle Opens and thecircleopens.com, where you can find new news and info about The Stand and Stephen King. So that's it for this episode of The Circle Opens, you guys. I hope that you enjoyed my quick review of Night Surf. And if you have read the original and you have seen the short film, please let me know where I can find those things so I can do the same. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would greatly appreciate a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the podcast when people uh, give it a review. So thank you to everybody who's already done so. You know what? That's it, you guys. Please have a safe and healthy week. Wear your mask, social distance, and hang in there. We're 16 days into 2021, and I keep crossing my fingers that things are going to start looking up soon. So M-O-O-N, that spells. See you next week.